Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Movies. As always, I'm Johnny Mockney, and happy Mother's Day, by the way, to all the mothers out there that are listening, and also to my mother. Happy Mother's Day, Mom, um, if you're listening, and I know that you are, so <laughs> this is your gift, by the way. Uh, an episode of a podcast on The Truman Show, a movie that I'm pretty sure has no significance to my mom, but it has a lot of significance to my very special guest today, uh, who I zoomed in from the East Coast. She's a friend of mine named Kaylina Herdefeld. Uh, Kaylina and I have known each other for a while. We co-directed a play together back in our theater days, and she's genuinely one of the most creative and nice people that I know. And she was nice enough to talk to me for over an hour about one of her favorite movies of all time, the Truman show, as I said, and it's kind of funny at this point telling people to go see the movie. Cause the Truman show is just kind of a movie. I've, I just assume everyone's seen. It's like one of those movies, like, like star Wars or Forrest Gump or Alvin and the Chipmunks, the road ship where I just like assume everyone's seen it. Like it's just ingrained in our culture. But obviously if you're one of the 12 people that haven't seen the Truman show, definitely go see it. Um, it's on Hulu. It's on stars, uh, or just pay the money to rent it, pay the $2. It's, it's on a lot of platforms. You don't have to pay Amazon if you don't want to, you know, cross the picket line or whatever. So, um, after you've seen it, please come back and enjoy this episode of we are movies. So I, I want to start with um, something that I just kind of recently started asking people. Cause I I'm, I'm curious about these things now. How much do you consider yourself like a movie person at all? Um, I wouldn't call myself a movie person, I guess. I, I like movies. I watch a lot of TV, but I definitely don't think I could call myself a movie buff or sure. anything like that. Okay. So when you first, um, uh, when you first started like doing acting at all, what was, was there a certain art form that inspired that? Um, I think it was just sort of my <laughs> desire to, to release my, my weird creative energy. There wasn't really any specific person that I, or film or any specific thing that I looked up to or aspired toward. It was just, sure. I guess, sort of a, a way that I felt I could express myself and yeah. have fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that, that's the thing is like, when you do theater and stuff, a third of the people are people who like want to be actors. There's um, always people that are going to do things for the wrong reason. But. <laughs> so I want to know uh, what, when was the first time you saw the Truman Show? I don't know exactly. It's hard to pin down. I, in, during childhood, it was okay. one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. So. Um, it kind of imprinted on my brain in a really weird way. Yeah. Um, just, I guess, because of his reality and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I have a couple things to say about that, but like, was it shown to you? Do you remember, or did you just discover it? Do you like remember the process of getting to it? I, it was something we watched as a family a lot. We did a lot of family movie nights, um, a fair amount of, Jim Carrey was definitely sprinkled in there, um, oh, okay. but that was that was something I I latched onto, I guess. Yeah, I definitely. If you're like already familiar with Jim Carrey, it's a very specific experience too, because like, like I saw this after I had already seen like Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura and stuff like that, like earlier in my life. So, and I, I thought the same thing about this one. We were talking about Eternal Sunshine, where it's like they they don't like jim carrey isn't necessarily doing something different he's just reapplying what he knows to like a different genre you know mm -hmm. and and it's it's effective that way but i do think it, it was important what you were saying about how it like made you ask questions because i think this movie's kind of existentially terrifying yeah it's <laughs> it's 
I think there's something about it that played into kind of my, especially as a kid, just like human self-centeredness. Like, mm. oh, well, what if? Um, right. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really disturbing. Um, and I think the kind of very polished, very cheerful sheen uh, they put on the whole thing yeah. makes it even more disturbing yeah um, but yeah of... i was um was I, I was just gonna say um i do agree that the truman show he's definitely doing a lot of his like silly jim carrey things his shtick mm-hmm. but um it i felt at the time that it was a bit of a departure from that it's oh, less yeah. there's kind of I guess like you're saying about this reality being very sinister, there's sort of more of a dark undertone to this movie than his other movies. So I think that was like the before Eternal Sunshine and other things that he's done. That was like a moment for me where I was like, oh, Jim Carrey isn't just, you know, a a guy with kind of like a rubber face who, you know, like, um, but yeah, they still pepper it in there, but I think that they do do it a little bit more conservatively yeah the Truman show yeah I think you're right and I also think it's very different in that like when he's playing a character like Ace Ventura the character is just like a maniac like that's who the character is and it's very everything he does is very unprovoked and that's what the joke is but in the Truman show when he gets goofier or sillier and he starts leaning into his like Jim Carreyisms, it's very motivated. Like there's a lot of paranoia that's already built up in this character to make him act that way, which makes it more effective, I think. Yeah, I think it's less of just let's watch Jim Carrey be silly and more of like using his um really kind of like absurd expressiveness to show somebody going insane. And so I yeah. think it has a really different color to it in that context. And it's really, I think it kind of um, can be taken a little bit more seriously in that context of him like losing his mind. And that's why he's like being crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, and he's still also, Jim Carrey's really good at like what you were saying about how, the world is very like polished and like an uncanny kind of way. Um, early on, he's really good at fitting into that too. Like, cause he's a little silly. Like Truman's kind of a silly guy at first. He has like, cause you know, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Like that whole shtick mm-hmm. is like, like it's very like 1950s leave it to beaver version of America. Yeah. And, and I like that because it also, in this world it's like a tv show that's widely beloved by america and so we kind of associate that with like american nostalgia um yeah aesthetically like fits together really well yeah and that's also an interesting um aesthetic comparison to make just because of the whole idea of this perfect cheerful facade like the 1950s American dream, um, you know, white picket fence kind of thing that just has such an ugly underbelly. Um, right. It's kind of, that's an interesting parallel to draw to this fabricated, supposedly perfect reality that Truman's living in. Yeah. And there's, and they talk about it in the movie. There's like um, sections where uh, Ed Harris's character, Kristoff, uh, who's like the creator of the Truman show, he's like, kind of talking about why the show appeals to people and it's all like um it's about how truman is like a a regular guy like he's and by regular guy though he's american culture's version of a regular guy which is like you know a white married man in suburbia with a regular nine to five job kind of thing Yeah, and he really kind of fits into the world that they've constructed for him. And, like, originally I was like, well, why is he so... Like, I I did sort of see his kind of, like, um, 
caricature yourself in the beginning of the movie as just kind of like that Jim Carrey being silly kind of thing. But then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that all he knows is this like um, fabricated uh, reality that's like a, a you know perfectly written script. So like right. that's what he's he's going to end up being a reflection of that if that's yeah. how he was raised. So I think like yeah. Yeah, it, it actually does make sense that that's the way that he is in the beginning of the movie. Right. And I like that it's kind of um, his whole kind of like wake up. Like, obviously, there are these clues scattered in early in his life, like the the woman who's supposed to be an extra who is actually trying to tell him the truth. Um, but it, it, that he just kind of reaches a point in his life where because of that, he's now just starting to question everything he sees. And that's why I think this movie like introduced a whole new generation of paranoia because <laughs> it's, it's the fact that Truman, you know, like there are other movies from this time. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Ed TV with um, Matthew McConaughey. It's like, I've not. It's also about like a guy who gets a show about his life, but it's about like Matthew McConaughey's already a guy. And then they start making a show about his life. And so mm. there isn't that existential question of has my entire existence been like orchestrated and shown to people, which is what's scary about it. Yeah. Or even just the idea that like, the, I'm pretty sure Christoph says this exact line. Um, you accept the reality with which you're presented, which, um, right. I think like applies to life in general of like, there are so many things about our lives that we kind of take for granted. Like mm -hmm. we're raised in all of these systems that we don't question cause it's all we've known. Um, and yeah, I think it's just kind of an interesting reminder of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I also think it's there, there's an interesting aspect to how everybody like loves Truman. Like they watch the show cause they like seeing him and they like root for him and stuff, but like they're all kind of unknowingly contributing to his torture sort of. Yeah. I actually had that same thought. It's like one of the few things I wrote down to talk about. Cause like they, there's is a really weird, um, kind of mentality of the people watching this show where they're clearly all rooting for Truman and at the end um wanting him to escape and they're all you know cheering and hugging and crying when he gets out of this dome that he's been trapped in but at the yeah. same time they're the ones supporting this entire thing it's like there's a weird disconnect that like they're they're not even seeing it as reality they almost yeah. in a way see him as a character and they don't like think about the implications right yeah well and yeah you have those the way they like cut to these some people like they'll return to some people throughout the movie sitting at home or whatever watching it and i think it has like one of my favorite endings ever like favorite last lines because it like ends with after oh, like yeah. the emotional peak of the movie, it's like those two cops and one of them's like, all right, what else is on? Like, where's the TV guide? And then they just <laughs> change the channel. And it's like, yeah. cause then they, they become so emotionally invested, but once it's over, they're like, all right, that's enough of that moving on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's like exactly what you do with a regular movie. You're getting all wrapped up in it and, and then you're right. like, Oh my God. And then it ends and you're like, all right, well, that was fun. Like, it's not real to any of the people watching, even though it is real. Yeah. And so it's like, it is it is kind of a testament to, like, like, entertainment and how we become emotionally wrapped up in entertainment and how effective that is in the moment. Because, uh, mm -hmm. like, they are all emotionally involved with Truman's story, but then it eventually becomes a literal life or death situation. And they're yeah. still cheering in that moment. They start and then, placing bets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like, and obviously like this movie is like maybe a little ahead of its time because, uh, you know, we've embraced reality TV a lot more since then. And like, 
that's like a whole genre of shows is shows about real people's lives and but we treat it the same way we don't treat it like we're watching real people's lives we're still treating it like we're watching you know just a scripted show yeah yeah like the the same thing happens in reality tv where the the people running these shows are really just basically trying to get these people to lose their minds and you know like keeping them drunk and just like putting them under the most stressful emotional situations to get good tv out of it and you know everyone laps it up so i think like it's it's realistic that yeah. people make that separation in their mind <laughs> yeah um i want to talk a bit about the character of christoph because uh, mm -hmm. I think he's a really interesting character and he's uh, because he's the villain of the movie, I guess. Like, you know, he's the mm -hmm. orchestrator. He's the reason for the whole plot. Um, and I, I really like what Ed Harris does with the performance because he's very gentlemanly and warm. And when you see like he's does that TV interview with the guy from The Simpsons um and he's he just seems like he actually has like affection for truman like he's like and it at first you kind of it's like it seems like this fatherly affection but it turns into like a yeah. god complex you kind of realize yeah like he's actually just a, a total egomaniac and the only reason he um thinks that this is what Truman wants is that he's so absorbed in what he's doing that he couldn't it, it's a, it's all about him in right. the end um yeah I think he's kind of like your classic kind of like um Kind of they they paint him in a kind of interesting way with like the beret and like some of the things he says and like I know how closely yeah. you guard your time like as this kind of like almost like pretentious visionary kind of guy um, yeah uh, that yeah he has this veneer of of being this brilliant man right because like in his eyes he's revolutionized entertainment and mm -hmm. and so he is like a you know he, he dresses like an auteur like he dresses like a like he's some kind of like um like he comes from the french new wave or something and, and he's like redefined mm -hmm. his art form and and so i think that's like it's kind of a fun like it's a self-awareness coming from hollywood too like to yeah, present yeah. like the kind of person that makes movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I, I was reading that actually, uh, just before this, that this was originally scripted to be an episode of The Twilight Zone, apparently. Oh, wow. Which I guess yeah. checks out, because like, I can, <laughs> like, I can see that happening that way. Um, but the writer who did that readapted it to be a movie. And so, like, it was originally going to have much scarier tones, I'm assuming. But um, I think yeah. the the more, the like, the comedic drama that it is, I think just, like, I think it works so much more. And almost because of that, it's creepier than it would be if it was, like, straight horror or something. Yeah, it's like, I always feel like... Um... Like, even when I am watching a horror movie, like, if the first scene opens and there's, like, something in the score that's, like, or, like, just some, like, ominous thing to set the tone, like, right. it's always, like, I almost feel like it, it makes it less scary because you're already, like, bracing for it and looking for it. Like, I think the scariest, most disturbing moments in a movie are when it kind of either comes out of nowhere or is more subtle um yeah and that's i mean very early on in this movie there are a lot of really good moments that are like that, that they don't call attention to them and maybe if you're like not paying full attention to the movie you don't really realize what's happening because there's the parts where he's like going to work and he's changing the channels and he accidentally intercepts the crew of the show and yeah. moments like that and th there's no like music cue that's calling that to your attention it's just 
which makes it a little more jarring when it happens. Well, that's the entire movie is stuff like that. And that's, I would say, like one of the more um, obvious ones, especially because like he goes back and, and talks about that happening. But I've seen this movie so many times and I feel like every single time I see it, there's some little thing um, that I realized that I missed. Um, like, for example, when the woman at the airport comes in um, and sits down, when he's trying to get a flight to Fiji, she has a little like makeup napkin in her shirt that she like takes out and puts to the side when she sits down. Like they oh, don't even, yeah. that's my theory. I think it's like her like makeup thing, like they're putting powder on her face or something and she still had a like a um, napkin on her chest. Yeah. There's no other like reason for that little moment. Yeah, no, that's actually, that's really smart yeah I, I think this movie does invite like a lot of rewatches because totally yeah there's so many like small moments like that that they throw yeah. in and um then there's the more you know in your face moments like when the light falls from the sky but then yeah and then they try to make up for it on the radio by saying that there was like a i like yeah uh, i love that thing. <laughs> and it's like you kind of originally are like how can truman just go along with this life right. like it's so absurd and weirdly polished but it's all he's ever they can basically do whatever they want as long as they keep it consistent and that's just going to be his life because they have complete control over every element of his life and it's not going to seem strange if that's how it's always been for him yeah and, and i like there seems to be maybe like an implication that like as time goes on, the people behind the scenes are getting more cocky and they're like a little sloppier in ways. Fuck up so many times. Yeah. And it's like, that's like, there's kind of like the idea of the premise of this movie is that he's like finally starting to get wise to all of this stuff. And it's always all like all kind of coming together. But if you really think about it, they screw up so many times in a row. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, I think it's, they do have a lot to keep track of. So makes yeah. sense. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I think, um, the, the, then there's like the, the funny thing too, is that they're like, the, the extras are like bad, like the extras, like we learned they aren't trained to interact with them um yeah and that there's like one of my favorite something. yeah well like one of my favorite parts is when he's talking to uh marlin his friend marlin and he has that and he's like really paranoid and he like turns and like claps at everybody and he's like see nobody's <laughs> looking at me because they're just not because they're already aware of them you know yeah yeah they're not startled or anything but yeah, I always am like, come on, people, what are you being paid for? Acting is <laughs> reacting. <laughs> right. Um, but I guess you could sort of justify that with the idea that with this operation that's on such a large scale and is planned and timed out so specifically, um, it's like any small change is liable to to sort of um, throw a wrench into it so yeah um i can't it kind of i think goes back to that idea of control um which was something i kind of wanted to mention of like every single part or line in the movie almost is has some kind of a either a double meaning or like something that um some tactic to get Truman to stay or it's colored by some something yeah. and there's this one line that Truman's mom says that she says it in such a way that makes it seem like it's important but I could never figure out why it's when she says um uh you know your father was an only child just like you and I yeah. was like why is that important and she kind of like looks up right she has like a moment where she yeah. like looks away yeah, so it, like, implies that there's kind of something to that line. And I guess, like, what I've thought about with that is, like, this wouldn't have worked if they didn't 
have every single other aspect of Truman's life under their complete control. Like if yeah. they had um, made a show about a pair of siblings or something, like they could have started to conspire. Like I think they really just needed Truman to, if he ever did start questioning things, the only way that they could kind of talk him out of it is if he felt completely alone. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I thought that was kind yeah. of interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. And, and like you were saying, the way that everything's so calculated, it, it, it's like you have to put things in his head um, to like, to like shape the way he thinks and try to stop him from wanting to leave and the way they kind of orchestrate so many things to to make him not want to leave like you know his dad dying from drowning and all of these things that it's like um because you know that the conflict is they can't just have somebody tell him don't leave because that's Mm -hmm. like you have to have him bring himself to that conclusion that he doesn't want to leave yeah so with all of their um everyone involved uh kind of um like idealistic notion that like well he's uh he's so real it's so raw it's why everyone loves to watch him but he's sort of a product of so much manipulation like psychological manipulation that you could argue that truman in a way, isn't really real himself. I mean, <laughs> right, right. I don't know. <laughs> that might be going a little too far, but there is there's so many questions that linger with me when the movie ends because it just ends with him leaving the dome, and you're like, what's life like after that? Like, because you he's... have to think about what's what it's right. like after that. Like that that as an ending is just it's there's no to tie everything up there are so many things about his life after he gets out of there that are going to be so right weird (laughs) but it's also like i think that's the perfect (laughs) ending like i don't think i would want further closure because to me that's where the story ends you know yeah i i do agree with that i think they ended it at the right place i just think it's funny to think about now he's out in the world right everybody has seen every second of his life yeah it's just how do you (laughs) it's gonna be so weird for him (laughs) yeah and and i um i think it's kind of well and and we kind of feel we're i think that's a testament to a great movie is when you are still thinking about what's going to happen to a fictional character when it's over yeah like kind of the opposite of how the cops at the end of this movie feel where it's like you're still thinking about it and you're like what's next you know yeah true um yeah that's a good point i i um i wanted to mention laura linney in the movie because i think Mm -hmm. she's really she's almost like funnier than jim carrey is um yeah her little ads that she does are like my favorite parts of the movie um yeah because, I mean, it's also, like, it's very... Because, obviously, like, they, they explain, like, oh, you have to get the commercials in during the actual show because we can't do breaks. Um, but then that also kind of adds to, like, the very, you know, 1950s uh, nuclear family corporate America version of what, like, of what life is because it's this woman in like a you know and and she's in her apron or whatever showing the knives that she just bought and stuff yeah she's like such an embodiment of that of just the whole kind of facade like the you know that 1950s thing she's just so just kind of oozes that uh, yeah yeah, it's really it's really impressive, right? And so, in like a way, it's like the entrapment. Um, you know, it's like that white picket fence life is like a prison to Truman, and it, it kind of made me because his character and the way that he has like wanderlust 
and he, he mm-hmm. he's been wanting to leave his whole life. I was thinking about how like characters like that are presented in like other things. Um, and like, if you look at stuff from like the forties or the fifties, like it's wonderful life, for example, like George Bailey really wants to leave um, Bedford falls, but his kind of revelation is that everything he wants in life is there at home. And so there's a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stories like that that are like, Hey, we know you really want to leave, but don't, isn't everything you want there? And, Cause they were like enforcing people to s- stay home and keep grinding, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he's even watching a TV show that's like, has that same kind of message, like show me the way to go home or something. Oh, um, yeah. Like the, yeah. when he's watching the TV show within the TV show. Um, <laughs> right. That's Which kind of funny boring. to think about. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the actors that are on the TV, fake TV show. That's part of a real TV show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the, 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 the yeah, the characters, the actors who are in a show within a show within a movie is yeah <laughs> it's like many layers That's funny. yeah <laughs> um but going back to Meryl i think she also ends up being a very important device in keeping him um on keeping him from leaving um right. and just that whole idea almost of in I mean, not entrapment because he married her on her own accord, but on his own accord, but um, just that the whole relationship was set up and, you know, she sort of like, they had her strategically seduce him and then like urge him to settle down. And like, she, I feel like she's almost, once they get married, the main line of defense between yeah. him leaving. Um, yeah, well, and I think that's one of the kind of like sweetest aspects of the movie is how they, because it is kind of about the, um, like the the um, sincerity of real affection, because mm-hmm. his entire life he hasn't experienced real affection. He's experienced really good actors pretending to be affectionate, and that's his mom, and that's Meryl. And so at one point in his life, when he meets um, Sylvia, AKA, um, I forgot her real, her, her fake name, uh, Lauren. Um, <laughs> and for like that fleeting moment, she's actually showing him affection because she actually cares about him. Nothing else in life lives up to that moment. And so I also think Meryl kind of acts as like a really good um catalyst for what leads to him waking up because after having this moment of actual affection he's now living with somebody who's giving them this very uncanny you know false version of affection yeah like you don't realize that there's something wrong with something or i guess it's true nature of something until you have something else to compare it to right um, I do think it does play a little bit into the kind of like movie trope of love at first sight that like can get tiresome. But I mean, I think within this context, it it makes sense because of what you're saying about like she's the only person who's actually being real with him in the right. entire his entire world. And I could imagine that's pretty, um, you know, regardless of how good of an actor the other people in his life are, that's probably going to come through the actual sincerity yeah and and i think it's okay like i'm also i get you know annoyed by love at first sight tropes but i also think like it works for the movie because it also needs to be such a fleeting moment like he can't have mm-hmm. known her for that long um yeah and then also if you look at it from a couple of perspectives like she knows everything about him because she's seen the show so yeah for her it's not first sight and then from him i think he does have this really relatable fascination for the rest of the movie of like the one who got away and just like what is yeah who was she it's the mysterious qualities of and then the random fact that she might have gone to fiji like that just haunts him yeah yeah he gets really stuck on it i do think 
that almost goes to like a creepy level of like the tearing <laughs> the pieces of the magazine out and yeah. blowing them together and trying to like recreate her face there's almost like the moment when he like goes down into his basement and takes out this like all these clippings you almost feel like like okay this is getting a little bit like <laughs> creepy <laughs> um, yeah well there's never been a context where people like cut apart magazines and pasted them together and there wasn't like a a dark undertone to it yeah i guess really. that whole uh activity is just has yeah. a lot of uh implicated <laughs> a lot of associations it's usually um, like ransom notes or something yeah but i mean i feel like we can't blame him for being creepy because his he's being creeped upon for his entire life so it, it, i think <laughs> yeah. the scales balance out <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. And I also, <laughs> there's all, there's also like a, like a sad quality to it. Cause if you do think about the idea of like, you saw somebody and that memory means so much to you, but you have no picture of them. And so you're trying yeah. to recreate their face. Like that's kind of sad <laughs> Like when I think about it. Yeah. I do. When he opens the magazine, I always think like that he rips out the wrong one like the one above its eyes look more like actually look more like her but that's just yeah. a random little <laughs> detail uh, <laughs> oh yeah that's um i guess when you've seen it enough times you start to... <laughs> I, yeah i've seen this movie so many times <laughs> uh, um i uh i also like i mean talking about the artificiality i think um his friend marlin um no, I want to talk about Merlin. Merlin. Okay. Because um, oh. he also. Oops. Sorry, my I just ripped my headphones out. Okay, all good. <laughs> okay, cool. Got him. I'm getting the timestamp to cut it. Um, oh. <laughs> or I can okay, leave it. Got it. It doesn't matter. It's natural. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> we all make mistakes, Johnny. We do. Her headphones accidentally came out, but they're back in Sue now. Me. We're okay. <laughs> um. I, uh, but I, I think, uh, so like we first like get an idea of their whole thing where they like, they're the two guys who sit in a pickup truck by a dock and they drink beer together. Um, or they, or they were golfing, right? Isn't that yeah. What, yeah. They're hitting golf balls into some dark abyss. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Um, which is like, you know, there's nothing in that abyss. It's probably just crew members yeah, catching the balls a, or something. Yeah, it's just a set. It doesn't have to be anything. Right. Funny um, and it opens up with him, like, drinking the beer and going, like, that's a hell of a beer. And then, like, shows the front of the beer, which is a great part. Um, but mm -hmm. then I love the bit where they're just feed, they're feeding him lines, the exact, like, word-for-word -word stuff they want him to say to uh, Truman. And he's, like, killing it. Like, as an actor, he's, like, it seems so real. There's, like, tears in his eyes. And that's, like, one of my favorite parts. Yeah, I think that's one of the best slash most brutal parts of the movie um, where, you, you know, there's this whole impassioned speech by Marlon about how, um, you know, if his whole life was some kind of a lie, then, uh, you know, if everyone's in on, in on it, then I would have to be in on it. And you're already, like, pissed off because you know he's yeah. lying. Right. And then it just brings it home with, just cutting to Kristoff, feeding every single word into his mouth. Yeah. Um, and it's just like the timing of it too, of like, there's that moment originally with the beer, of like that's a beer, like that, that <laughs> yeah. beer ad that Marlon gets in there earlier. Um, but then he's drinking the same beer when he says that speech. Um, and he said, uh, the right after he says, if everyone, was in on it then i'd have to be in on it he t like takes a sip of his beer with the label <laughs> facing the camera and then like finishes the speech it's just like yeah it's, yeah it's so brutal to truman <laughs> and then also to the actor i feel like like just he's forcing um emotion marlon's he's forcing marlon to just say this horrible cruel lie straight to truman's <laughs> face and he doesn't right. really have a choice in the matter um, I mean, I guess he could quit, but right. Uh, I guess he was also a child star that's sort of <laughs> yeah, kind of been forced into this light, like 
that's a thing they throw in. He's sure. like a Macaulay Culkin type. That yeah. Like, <laughs> um, I I think that the, back to like what I think is like kind of the self awareness where like Kristoff is like a film director. Like he dresses like a lot of directors. There's like a you know there's like a feeling that like if you're a, an actor, like if you're a really good actor, which clearly the guy playing Marlin is a really good actor, it's like there's there's gotta be something wrong with you <laughs> to be able to like <laughs> fully perfectly recreate human emotions with no sincerity like there's th- that's a weird thing to be able to do and i never I, thought about it like that but that, that's <laughs> an interesting point of like you have, yeah well you and, have to be a really good liar to be a really good actor yeah and, and and like in American culture, or I just get in world culture, we kind of worship actors. Like we love actors. They're like the biggest type of celebrity. And there is the, this movie by making like all of the act, like so many of the quote unquote villains of this movie are actors and they're really good at it. It kind of recontextualizes what an actor is to you. And you're like, oh, they're like maybe sociopathic <laughs> a little bit. Not to generalize yeah. actors, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a, an interesting way to think about it. Of acting <laughs> is is really just being a really good liar, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, and a like a good recreator too, like a to to have such a good understanding of human emotions. Yeah. It's like, can you trust somebody to be like, how do you know if someone's fully being themselves if they have the ability to be anyone? Like, how do you know what's real? Yeah. And I think that's kind of something we can even like ask ourselves too. Right. Like how much of our personality is kind of like some kind of an act or performance? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I, and I don't want to get into this whole like, in this age kind of kind of thing or like, or like or to start getting into like social media bashing that everyone does but definitely with social media there's an element of performance to everything that we do um yeah i'm not gonna step on bo burnham's toes because i know he talks about this really well <laughs> but it's like I, and because of that a lot of us for a lot of people don't know where they end and their fake version begins like where performance mm-hmm. them is and who they really are. And like, there's even like, like I was talking to somebody I knew, this is funny, this is a film class too. And he was like, he would lie about what movies he's seen to people because he wanted to appear more knowledgeable. And mm. I was like, eventually, like, do you just like kind of convince yourself like you've seen the movie? If you, cause if you have <laughs> to keep track of a lie and you tell it to everybody, it's like you've seen it now and you can't just see it for the first time. Like, I don't know. That's like, <laughs> I guess I just don't really know how you would. That's like one of the lies that you could tell that's pretty much impossible to back up. Like, you right. can, how do you, like, you don't, you like, still can't talk about the movie. <laughs> right. You just say you've seen it. Uh, <laughs> oh, I trust that guy. He's seen that movie. Right. But then at that point, if all the social capital that you get from saying you've seen a movie is the only value that is in seeing that movie, then you've basically seen it. Because, like, if that's why people, supposedly, if that's why people see movies, let's assume people see movies because of how it influences people's opinions of them and not because they actually just want to see it then what's the difference between saying you've seen a movie and actually seeing it? Like it's Yeah, I mean, I guess in that regard, it's pretty much the same thing. It's like, it kind of goes back to the idea of social media of like, right. are you making this like avocado toast because you're really <laughs> just going to sit and, and enjoy it? Or is it there's some part of you that's like, it's just going to look really good on my Instagram. Right. Um, <laughs> and I, I've I've kind of like really tried to like, get away from that mentality yeah me too yeah well because i never wanted to be because i always i was always annoyed and like if i was like a bonfire or something with friends or i was like hanging out with friends or something some some situation where we're like all sitting around and somebody's like decides to start snapping it and like like just 
showing everybody off. I'm like, all right, that's mm-hmm. fine. You're showing off that you're having fun. But then there's like this existential crisis within me that's like, how much of, am I your actual friend and how much am I a prop to show people <laughs> that you have friends, you know? Did you come to my party because you wanted to or because you wanted <laughs> to staff about it? <laughs> right. Like, it, what is the value that we place on friends? Is it the fact that we actually yeah. want to spend time with them or we want to show people that we have friends and therefore can get more friends? I don't know. That's... It's a whole rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, totally. We just got to all try to be present. I feel like we all know what this is doing to us, so all we can do is just try and be present. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. That's why (laughs) actors have such great social media accounts, because it's like, like, especially now during the coronavirus, like, they're attacking instagram like like so many celebrities have started instagrams uh-huh. in like the past <laughs> couple of weeks because it's like that's like they're like ah, i need i need an outlet uh, i like, need i need someone to see me <laughs> i need an audience yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no i think that's we i kind of kind of went down a trail there but i think i think that relates to the movie <laughs> for sure yeah um yeah just the idea of performance versus reality truth versus facade yeah um yeah it's really related i actually saw a short uh animated short film that i really wish i could remember the name of right now because it's so relevant um about this girl who's a youtuber and then she basically like um has an identity crisis and like try like her uh online personality she's like who am i am i my online personality and then they end up like fusing and she like has a anyway oh so they're like uh, it... <laughs> presented as two different personalities yeah and then she okay. basically like has an ego death and yeah oh <laughs> it's, it's, it's great like, it's like that uh did you ever see youth and revolt with michael Sarah? no that's the one where like he creates a like a he creates an alter ego for himself and it's like a badass version of himself with a mustache. Mm. And so like the whole movie, it's like two Michael series because there's like the other one in his mind and that's the, that's his alter ego. And so there's parts where like he'll be talking, but then the alter ego will say something like, like dirtier or meaner or something. But in real life, it's like him saying it, but we're seeing it as two different guys also. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, mini recommendation, Youth and Revolt, to people listening. Um, Do you, uh, speaking of Jim Carrey freakout scenes, um, Mm -hmm. I think the best, like the best Jim Carrey moment where it's like a fusing of old and new Jim Carrey is uh, I think when he's like notices that the same bikes are going around his house. And it's when he he just has that, like, they're going around and around and around. (laughs) And he's, like, genuinely scaring her. It's, like, it's peak. Because, A, it's, like, this is a properly motivated Jim Carrey freakout. But also we're getting, (laughs) we're also getting, though, (laughs) like, the proper reaction to a Jim Carrey freakout, which is, like, in usually a Jim Carrey movie, he's being crazy and people kind of look at him or side-eye him. But, like, Laura Linney's, like, terrified of him, which, (laughs) which I think is really good. Yeah, that's a um, that's a great scene, and like I'm always kind of conflicted of like he's really um, terrorizing Meryl in this moment, like yeah. really like putting her in physical danger. Really, just like it's like so kind of like malicious and inhumane, but then it's almost almost warranted like I, I don't, obviously like nobody deserves that but mm-hmm. um it's just yeah it's like almost her like her having to deal with and witness the result of the what they've been putting him through like his psychological collapse is kind of largely her fault so it's it's i think fitting that she should be like kind of at the mercy of this yeah and um like because he does he like kind of it's like he takes her hostage like yeah, <laughs> he's it's got her like scary 
yeah it, it's genuinely like it's terrifying and um so and the the scene switches to where it's like you're laughing kind of at first because of his behavior but then it becomes dangerous mm-hmm. and now it's tense and scary um and then you had that great moment where she yells to do something and then that like oh yeah sets him off yeah 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 i think like going into that scene like you were saying like we're so used to the, that's the silly Jim Carrey and we're like oh there he is but then <laughs> very quickly realize that it's not as funny as as you know we're expecting maybe right I, I think that's the kind of that's really I really like a lot of like comedic actors like him they did things later in their career where they would reapply that same kind of performance that they were doing but they would kind of comment on it and like because I don't know, like, if you've ever seen, um, have you seen Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler? The yeah. It's a, it's a similar thing where that, he plays, like, an Adam Sandler character, but it's kind of about, like, what the social repercussions of being a Adam Sandler character are, and mm. also why he's that way, and it's, like, kind of a movie about mental illness, and it's it's very, like, like, I like kind of taking these things that we cherish for you know, because they're funny or whatever. And after that has, we've accepted that for long enough in like an actor's career, they start getting like self-reflexive about it. Um, Yeah. And I definitely think that's like, Jim Carrey kept doing this, but I think this was like the big turning point for him where he started branching out and like, we started to recontextualize his other stuff, which is kind of funny how even after this, like, it's hard to watch this and then like the fact that he went back to doing like Mr. Popper's Penguins or whatever after this. It's like, how do you, <laughs> how do you go back to doing Jim Carrey after you've done this, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, and I mean, I, I don't think like everything he did before that was necessarily bad. Like I know oh, yeah. it gets a lot of kind of, it's very kind of like, I guess like cheesy and gets kind of like, I guess like kitschy of like a, it really became his thing. So it was just kind of like, oh, there's Jim Carrey doing his thing. But like, right. I think it's the reason that like he got so much attention for it is because like it's it's unique. Like it's yeah. it's very um, it's really fun. So yeah. I think like even if he was able to have this sort of more serious breakout moment, like I don't fault him for kind of. Going oh, yeah. back to that playful side of himself. Oh yeah, of course. Like I think it's, uh, you know, Jim Carrey is gonna choose to do whatever he does, and like I think that's great. Uh, I think the the thing I'm thinking about is like how um, it's just like when somebody does do, like because I think there's something to when you watch somebody that you that's beloved to you like you know jim carrey is like in my childhood like a really beloved actor and so um to me the happiest thing to see somebody that you love as a performer is to see them like kind of evolve or reapply what they've done and Mm -hmm. not to say like like i liked mr popper's penguins i'm not gonna like i'm not (laughs) shitting on that movie (laughs) but like um it's like whenever you see like jerry seinfeld you know he's like he's been doing comedy for like 30 years now and he's still doing bits about like doorknobs <laughs> and there's like there's like a part of me that's like I get that's your thing but like sometimes you gotta like evolve a little guy like you gotta like yeah everybody else has you know and so as like a fan of Jerry Seinfeld I'm like I want to see you do something better you know at this point yeah and I think like that's like I think that also gets kind of perpetuated a little bit in that we all we kind of want people to have their thing and I feel like it's right. easy for like actors and performers to get pigeonholed into to, to some kind of um, trope or like if there's something they're known for or really good at it's like can be hard to break out of that even though realistically right. and like I, this goes for like um, I'm an art major so like uh, this goes for art too it's like you're so kind of encouraged to find your thing and like but I think that's kind of an overrated idea. Well, yeah, the implication that a person should have a thing is like, because that's so limiting as a. Then you, yeah, then you're not going to keep exploring. 
Right. Um, and I, part of me feels like, I think I can totally picture when this came out, like Jim Carrey fans or maybe fan, not, I don't want to say Jim Carrey fans, but like, there are certain people going like, I don't like this. Like, you know, like <laughs> people who wanted yeah. him to go back to being like silly Jim Carrey. And there's part of me that's like with Steve Carell, for example, like he did that like drama with Timothy Chalamet. And I was kind of like, that's great. But like, I miss goofy Steve Carell. Like there's that like part of me that's, so like, I definitely mm-hmm. do think there were people like that and that might be limiting because you've been pigeonholed. And also by like, there are elitist personalities, right? Like, and I think that maybe um, he's visibly like, uh, if you watch during like the awards season that year and stuff, he's very bitter that like he didn't get maybe the proper recognition from some people for what he did. Mm. Um, like he won the Golden Globe uh, for the move for best actor in a drama. And uh, he wasn't nominated for an Oscar. And like in his acceptance speech for the best actor in a drama, he was like, I want to thank the Academy. Oh, wait, no, sorry, wrong award. And he, like, kind of gets... And then he, like, kept doing a couple jokes like that throughout the night. And it's where, like... Part of me is, like, if, you, if you're, if you like, Jim Carrey and you're, like, really flexing what you know, um, and then, like... I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, he won a Golden Globe. That's really good. <laughs> but, like, I'm sure there were some people... Like, I can imagine certain people, like, going, like, okay, okay, Jim, but don't get too big for your britches. You know, this is what we do. That's what you do you know yeah no i mean like he did a great job and it was like a really cool milestone in his career but i think just that's that's (laughs) complaining about not winning an oscar while you're accepting (laughs) a golden globe that's just a little (laughs) right but he did tell he told a story one time about how he was doing um when he did um batman forever and he played harvey two-face or no, he didn't play Harvey. He played the Riddler and Tommy Lee Jones played Harvey Two-Face. And Tommy Lee Jones is a, you know, he's an actor, actor. Uh, he's not like a comedy guy. And so apparently like he met Tommy Lee Jones at a dinner. Have, I, have you heard the story? No. Okay. I was just he, to say, uh, comedic actors aren't real actors. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. To, I think comedic actors are real actors, but I'm saying like a, he's <laughs> a quote unquote, mean, yeah. yeah. He's a quote unquote real actor. And um, <laughs> he says like apparently he like pulled Jim Carrey in and he whispered in his ear like I really don't like you or something and so like and Jim Carrey like laughs about that but I can picture that being kind of like just like why that's the opinion that you know self-described real actors have of you it can be a little like eventually you're gonna be like you know what screw you I will do Mr. Popper's Penguins you know like yeah that's that's what I'll do like like maybe it's just like a fine I give up. This here is this is what you want. All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, he's done all kinds of good stuff. And he's actually he actually just did a he's the new show that he did is with um, Michelle Gondry who did Eternal Sunshine. So he's uh, kidding. I haven't watched it, but cool. Yeah, me neither. Apparently, it's good. Um, is there? Oh, oh yeah, and then also like the people who think that comedic actors can't be great actors, like Robin Williams. You know. Oh yeah, like, no. I, there's so many. <laughs> totally, totally not serious about that. Yeah. Is there? Uh, did you have any notes that you wanted to get to that we haven't yet? Um, we, I think we had everything that I wrote down. Um, I guess just a funny anecdote that I didn't mention is that. Um, I watched this so many times as a kid that um, I think just like during the, like while my brain was developing, um, that I got this idea in my head that my life was a TV show or just like, I don't know if I ever fully believed it, but it was like, it was kind of, um, I feel like it was almost like Santa Claus of like, there was a certain point where I was like, yeah, I mean, that's not real. But I was like, so there was still this part of my brain that was always like, like looking at a plant and being like, I see you. <laughs> like, just like, so it was a it feeling weird complex as a kid. It was a feeling that you could be like, unbeknownst to you, you could be like in Truman's situation where there, yeah. like, there's a real world. Okay. Cause yeah. 
I had similar thoughts, except I thought that maybe I'm a character in a scripted show. That was like what I. <laughs> wow, that's really uh... the question of like, are you <laughs> being authored? Like, do, are we being controlled? Every single thing we do, it was yeah, it was a whole other level. Um, that's another movie, Stranger Than Fiction, with Will Ferrell is like that plot. So maybe that's where I got that. <laughs> These yeah, just the plots of movies deeply ingraining <laughs> into our tiny childhood brain <laughs> when we're way way too young and impressionable yeah. yeah exactly i would be more worried about my kid watching like the truman show at a young age than i would be like rambo or something you know it's like we're, we're gonna sit down and talk about this movie before you watch it or after yeah. you watch it this you know? is fake but then there's the whole thing of like well if i'm in the truman show they wouldn't have made a movie call about <laughs> called right. the truman show but maybe that, that was would just tip me to off. throw me off but me, yeah, but maybe they knew that I would. It's like that whole. <laughs> like, yeah. This is the most brilliant plan of all. That'd be true. Me. Oh, let's make a movie about what's literally <laughs> happening to him, and then he'll think it can't be. They'll think it can't be happening. That's... In that scenario, the people in the show that he's watching would be actors within a show, within a a movie, right. within a movie, within a movie. It would mean that Jim Carrey is actually a different actor pretending to be an actor named Jim Carrey, who has yeah. also had an entire career of other movies to throw us off. <laughs> yeah, they really had to put a lot into this. I mean, my reality is complex. They're really going for it with this. Yeah, good, which, good job. Like, at that point... Yeah, I applaud, I applaud I can't the even producers be of this show. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good job. I like to, like, this podcast isn't even going anywhere. Like, it's just... I think I upload it to the internet, but it's just like, it's just saved in a hard drive somewhere. And then people give me fake comments to make me think it's being received. I uh, trust anyone. Do you got an <laughs> earpiece right now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, my, the woman pretending to be my mom keeps telling me that she listens to every episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you think this is your favorite movie? I'm averse to the idea of favorites in general. Sure. I feel it to be too absolute. Um, I guess it would be maybe the closest thing to being my favorite movie, just considering how many times I've seen it um, and just kind of like how much I love it and the impact that it's had on me. But yeah, um, I don't know. I I always hesitate to... Sure. To say something's my absolute favorite. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like also like if claiming something's your favorite thing, if that's supposed to define you and what you like in that category of things, like I need to choose like at least ten movies to, to like describe who I am or ten things, you know, like yeah, um, yeah, and then like we were saying before, like then once those are the things, those are your things, like you're not gonna. I feel like the idea of having a favorite movie closes you off to the idea of like, ha get, like having a new favorite movie. Right. Yeah. That's, I've had that problem too, where it's like, I've just had a favorite movie for so long that I'm like, I can't just like have a different just favorite change movie. It? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it becomes like your favorite shirt or something. And it's like, you know, it doesn't fit you, but you still keep it around or whatever. Um, I have um, some reviews that I pulled up because I'm doing this thing now where I, I pull up uh, half star reviews for whatever movie. We're oh, about. okay. <laughs> um, have you heard of Letterboxd? Like um, uh, vaguely, it just says like a movie sure. review platform. Um, yeah, it's like a it's like a social media for movie reviewing. Um, and okay. so I pulled up the Truman Show and I pulled up half star reviews. Um, and the funny thing is like a lot of these aren't necessarily negative about the movie. It's just about how it made people feel. And it's like, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's so silly. I think you talked about this in a different episode um, about like people not liking movies because it's like makes them sad or uncomfortable. It's like, I mean, yeah. sure. But I get in a way, I think that's what makes something successful that's able to make you feel something like that. Right. But anyways. It's, especially if that's the purpose is to make you feel uncomfortable. Like, yeah. you know, if a Pixar guess, movie is making you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I guess then, if, that, if that's not the goal, then Right. It's a like, oh, if Song concerning. of the South makes you feel uncomfortable, fine, because it's kind of racist. <laughs> that's all right. But 
<laughs> um, I found okay. So this is a half star review. This threw me into a psychotic episode. Would not recommend for people off of their meds. <laughs> pretty good movie though. Oh no! <laughs> but then okay. they said pretty good movie with a half star yeah, review. Yeah. Interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this other one says like not that bad. Makes me feel kind of depressed. The scenes are played very well, but the plot isn't okay. Amazing actors. Half a star out of five. <laughs> They just give it half a star because what's <laughs> happening in the movie isn't okay. <laughs> right. This is not okay. Why is right. this happening? I don't like this movie. Right. How many, like, oh, Saving Private Ryan. Great movie. <laughs> it was not okay what happened to all those guys on the beach. <laughs> That's such a weird <laughs> requirement to have in your head. Like, everything that happens in this movie must be acceptable. <laughs> like, if I didn't nod and say okay the whole movie, <laughs> then something's wrong. <laughs> They only like really, really boring movies. This one I actually agree with. I mean, I, I kind of agree with all these. But this is, this is a <laughs> half-star review. Uh, this movie literally created a phobia that you're living in a Truman show and everyone around you is faking it. That's super fucked True. up. The whole concept is honestly really <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, Yeah. no, I relate to these. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have had the same experience if I didn't watch it as a small child. But Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This is okay. And then this is the last one. This is just a, this is a one star review. So it's not a half a star. It's a little more positive and um, it's a little hyperbolic, but it says this movie literally ruined my entire life. (laughs) Oh my God. Which is pretty good. That's honestly, yeah, no, that's all. Yeah. That's, (laughs) that was the whole review. Um, I, I think it's a positive thing to say about the movie that the most negative reviews are actually complimenting the movie for how effective it is, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's, like, a just a flawed basis on which to write a bad review. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, strange criteria. Um, yeah. So there was nothing else you wanted to get to before we're done? Um, I guess I'll just say, like, keep your eye out when you're rewatching the movie because almost every line has has some kind of like um, nuance to it, and there's like a lot of stuff going on in the background. So yeah, um, yeah, just a lot of little kind of Easter eggs about stuff there, like it being a show that are are fun to look out for. Yeah, look out for the um, <laughs> for the makeup wipe. That I, yeah, yeah, that let I me. <laughs> The next time I watch it, I'm going to look for the makeup wipe. Yeah, that's Um, my theory. Yeah. Also going to look for the fact that he he rips out the wrong part of the magazine and that the eyes were... Yeah, maybe, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. That wraps up another episode of We Are Movies. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Thank you again to my friend Kaylina for coming on. And uh, if you enjoyed this and you haven't yet, uh, feel free to leave us a review and or a rating. Um, It really helps out the podcast and we appreciate it. And also, um, if you haven't yet, feel free to follow us on Instagram at WeAreMoviesPod or you can also like our Facebook page, WeAreMovies. And you can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Letterboxd at Johnny Mockney, J-O-H-N-N-Y-M-O-C-N-Y. I will be back with you next week with a brand new episode. I'm sticking to the weekly schedule, so come hell or high water, I will have that out. And until then, happy Mother's Day. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.